Alright guys, welcome to episode 5 of Lifting the Lid. In this episode, expect to find out how to prepare for life after the Corps, why the government are failing veterans, and a critique into Royal Navy marketing methods. Let's get into it. And we're live. And we're in, back again. Back in, right, straight away, when did you decide you wanted to leave the Corps? So, when did I decide I wanted to leave the Corps? Probably around year three, maybe, so two years before I left. I, want, I decided I didn't want to carry on for the full 22 years. So I, I knew that I wanted to leave at some point after about three years, I would say. I mean, I obviously don't know this, but I'm just assuming that you never really saw it as a full career anyway. I did at the start. Oh, really? By the start, I mean the first like 10 weeks of training before yeah. I really knew what was going on. And then, yeah, I started to question that and probably came to the realisation that maybe it wasn't going to be a full career. Uh, but I think what played into that was in that first four to six months of my time at a unit, I started to get a, a decent insight into what coaching was like and taking lads through sessions and stuff like that and started to have a little bit of a different interest yeah. and realised that that's obviously not conducive with being a soldier for the rest of your life. No. So how common is it now for lads to use the core as a stepping stone almost? I don't know if it's a purposeful stepping stone, but um, it's definitely common for people not to do the full 22 or the full 20 years. More common than it used to be. don't know why that is. I think it's maybe because there's less deployments, less active duty going on. So, yeah. I guess there'd be push and pull factors. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I mean, I've said this before, I think that most people in the core at a certain point, you either get to a, like a divergence and you, you're either going to, there's like three paths you can go down. You either leave, go SF, or you decide to progress through through the core, through the ranks. And I feel like this might be wrong, this might be my bias, but the people who maybe either don't feel like they can go SF or try and fail, and then you've got the people who don't feel like they can go outside because they just maybe don't have any interests outside or don't have any specialist expertise that they feel like they can go and take hold of. You then, you're then left with a subset of people and those people are left to go through the ranks in the Marines, if that makes sense. So I think that's how you right. kind of... You haven't painted them in the best light. No, I mean, that's not, that's not saying it about them, because that's just... That's so just... If you are still in the Corps after 20 years, Harry Shepard thinks you're a hell basically. <laughs> no, but I would probably say to you that you've probably tried selection and failed, or you've looked on on the outside and not seen anything that takes your fancy that's that's where I, that's what i mean yeah like that's just that's a pretty fair thing to say yeah. i think because um, if you were tempted you would go wouldn't you yeah and the thing is the people who want to stay in the core clearly like soldering mm. and really enjoy that job so the natural progression and the thing that people want to do is go sf so you've either done that and failed or seen it and think nah not for me yeah and you just sit tight so yeah. so when is this like this is during covid isn't it when you decide to leave no, before just before. Oh, before. Just before that, yeah. Um, my actual notice wasn't in in COVID, but I decided that I was going to go down the route of trying to be uh, PT or work in fitness. Right. Park before that, then. Park that thought. Okay. You've decided you want to leave. Yeah. How do you go about doing it? Okay, so when you actually want to decide to put your notice in, you have to put a year's return of service in. So you put your notice in, then twelve months later you actually leave the service. Which I think is wild. Yeah. Because you never get a year's notice period in, in any Civvy Street. No, and when you're on that side of it, and when you, you want to leave, and then you think, I've got to wait a year now until I yeah. actually get out. It's quite frustrating, but there's a good reason they do it, and the reason is because it's a massive change in your lifestyle, isn't it? So, huge step change, and to, to get used to that, and to have that kind of uh, almost adjustment period... For, yeah. from going from, from the military life into civilian, civilian life they feel like you need that, that amount of time which maybe is correct so you said you want to leave mm -hmm. what then changes is there an attitude shift both from you and from them or is it just not like... not immediately because again it's a year <laughs> so yeah. if you fucking like sign off and be like ah, I'm not working <laughs> what anymore that? Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. I'm not working anymore so um, that, that's obviously not going to work is it because you're still getting paid to be a marine in those 12, year, 12 months, so you still, you've got to do your job, essentially. Um, so you go into your chain of command and you'll say, I want to put my notice in, and then they'll be like, okay, um, 
they actually said to me, go and wait, like sit on it for a week and see how you feel. And then they said that again the next week and then again the next week. So it took me about two weeks before I actually... Okay, now, actually... They, like, they like you to mull it over, don't they? Christ. Well, you've got, they've, they've got a lot of investment in you at that point. I mean, they, you've, yeah. you know, you've been through that amount of training, which we've been through in previous episodes. They, they reckon it's like £100,000 a cost to take each recruit through training in terms of like feeding them, training them, housing them, all that shit. So yeah, that's there's just, a lot of investment going yeah, that's in. That's just through basic as well. Yeah. Once you, you then obviously a train, once you're a trained rank, you obviously accrue more value. Yeah, exactly. And then you get, you know, deployments, which uh, X amount of money, Build all experience. this sort of stuff. And so um, there's a lot of investment. So they're like, they want to keep you if they can. So they kind of say, what can we do? What can we offer you that could make you want to stay? There was nothing really for me that, that they could have done that for. So, whoa! So they like bargain with you. Is it like yeah. when you threaten that you're going to leave Sky and they're like, "Oh, we'll give you three months for like half price." Do they yeah, say, oh, pretty oh, much. We'll let you fire a better weapon or something. Pretty much. Well, they say like, "Is there a draft that you can foresee in the core that you want to maybe try?" Um, then they've got you again for another couple of years. Or oh, really? Yeah. This is this is an exclusive top tip. If you're in the core and you're thinking <laughs> yeah. about leaving, throw your toys out the pram. Yeah, and you might get what you want. It happens. It's called it's just negotiation. It, that actually happens where people be like, right, I'm unhappy in my current draft. I'm gonna say I'm gonna leave, and then they might offer me something. That kind of that kind of push <laughs> and pull sometimes happens. Only with lads who are like, have got the gift of the gab and they want to play the game. Yeah. Um, but what I should I should say is that the year before deciding to leave, I kind of decided I wanted to. I don't know if you remember this. Wanted to go RAF PTI, remember that kind of yeah. period? Yeah, so um, I applied for that. I did the entrance test twice for the, the psychometric test twice. I was one mark under on the second attempt. And they told me that I'd have to wait another 12 months to resit. So didn't feel like that was going to happen. So I was like, um, yeah, that was yeah. that was my decision maker, like, really. Like, can we just go back to that for a second? Like, yeah. Let's throw some shade. Yeah, on the absolutely, RA, the on the RAF application <laughs> process because that was bollocks. I remember that total fucking bollocks. You, I don't blow your trumpet too much, <laughs> but you would have made a good RAF PTI, and because you were that, because you missed out by one mark, they yeah. just chinned you off. By the way, one mark on a spatial reasoning. <laughs> yeah, this is the you thing. tell me in the comments, right? How much carryover there is from spatial reasoning <laughs> to physical training instructor. So I mean, if there's anyone listening on the board of board of directors for the for the RAF yeah. um, psychometric test, sort your shit out because that's bullshit. Basically, you do if you've done a psychometric test before, you'll know you do like a, su- a subset of different categories. You know, numerical reasoning, verbal reasoning, mechanical comprehension, spatial reasoning, and a memory test. The spatial reasoning and the memory test are the two you can't practice. The others you can practice. The others you can do maths tests. You can oh. do all this shit right. So the, those are the two that I got the lowest marks in, believe it or not, because I put the effort into actually practice the others. And there, yeah, so I got a, a mark under what I needed. I asked them on the phone, can they take me through on risk? Because I was like, I'm confident if I get to the next stage that I'll just get through because the rest of it was stuff I was confident with. And then, yeah, they didn't say they wanted to do that. So the next day, I then put my notice in and sort of came to terms with the fact that I have to go and find a job as a PT on the outside. So I kind of backtrack a little bit, but yeah, that's that's what happened. That's so short-sighted. Yeah, a little bit. And what's kind of really annoying is um, one of my close mate, my closest mate at, the, at my unit at that time was going through the same application process. We both did the test, he passed. Then he went to the three-day assessment, that assessment week or whatever, that is the physical testing, the actual business end of getting into the course. So you do your physical test, you do a couple of lectures, you do... You, they kind of assess your knowledge on physical testing, that kind of stuff. Um, he was like, when he came back from that, he was like, that was a joke. I said, <laughs> him and one other person out of like 20 people were the only people to pass the physical testing. And when they stood up and had to give a lecture, they had no ability to speak in front of people, obviously, oh, which I no pride myself in and having having taken sessions for years in the past, you know, that was something I was good at. So I was hearing that, I was like, what they've done there is they've selected <laughs> out someone who's potentially good at the job with a intellectual test. Yeah. And selected in people who actually, when they get to, you know, the business end and, and get to the point where 
they need to perform haven't got what it takes so it makes no sense <laughs> yeah they've they've invested quite heavily into an arbitrary psychometric test and yeah. completely overlooked job specific skills yeah exactly that. <laughs> exactly that well well put and um and what i mean what again what comes from that is having substandard people at the assessment day and they're the people you can draw from to get to the test and then get to the course and then eventually get to pti level so they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in the first stage. Yeah, would it not would it not make more sense to have the physical test before the psychometric test? Bear in mind that you are an RFPTI. I guess so, but it's an aptitude test, isn't it? So what their argument is that you're they're screening for overall intelligence, which and is that, that, I mean, that's, that's I mean, their argument. And their argument yeah. is that some you know there's got to be a line somewhere, and unfortunately, I was slightly below that line. Um, again, looking back now probably a blessing in disguise because of the stuff I've been able to go on and do but I mean in the moment very very annoying yeah, and, it and caused that knee jerk reaction to put my notice in that next day well in so the, we're there there we go in the words of Neil Warnock that's a load of bollocks <laughs> <laughs> well anyway we'll leave that yeah. uh, if you are in the RAF and you're in charge of PTI recruitment book your ideas up yeah basically from that that's what you can gauge from, from that entire conversation right so so in the 12 months that you had to mull over your future career after you mm. said you wanted to leave mm. what actually happened like day to day on the job normal really so the first certainly the first eight nine months are very normal that you treated like you're staying in for the next five years and you treat everyone else the same you don't kind of take your foot off the gas because again you've been paid for that job so you'll do that job maybe in the last month six weeks you start to get a little bit of kind of not preferential treatment but they know you're like one foot out the door, so they're kind of trying to set you up for success. So maybe when the lads are doing um, a weapons lecture or whatever, that's not yeah. going to help you in the in the next no. year, is it? So then they're like, they might say, okay, if you leave him in the next six weeks, go back to your room, do something, like uh, apply for jobs, do whatever. Right, okay, oh, that's so interesting. They kind of help you out sometimes. That depends on your hierarchy. Sometimes they can be bitter. And they don't do that. Yeah, so I wasn't sure whether it would be oh, Shep's leaving, you know, and they'd be bitter about it. Yeah. And they'd be like, let's give him all the shit. Yeah. Let's unload all the stuff we don't want to do on him because he'll be out the door in a week. Or, But it sounds like, from no, what you've said, it's yeah, actually it's the opposite. Uh, it depends kind of what the troops view is of that individual, probably. That's probably more a factor. Yeah. If, if they think you're a shit house and then you're leaving... <laughs> Which then... you are. Yeah. Obviously a very poor judge of character. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then you're leaving, then they'll probably... Shut loads of loads of shit at you, but yeah, if you've been a decent lad, then they won't. So, you know, they're saying that they obviously give you like the odd lecture off to do your own yeah, thing. Yeah. There isn't actually a formal system in place for like the transfer into Civvy Street, so to speak. No, there isn't. It's there just is... the emphasis is just on you basically to get your shit in order. Yeah, the onus on you. You have little maybe days that you can go on but again you've got to apply for these things where they're like careers days or you know you can apply for extra resettlement to pay for courses civilian courses that you want to go to so there's a little bit of support there but yeah it's not anything structured it's just on the off chance you're going to go and maybe have some time off to apply for jobs to go to job interviews to whatever well, Actually, to be fair, thinking about it, there are schemes in place where, like, if you're ex-service, you get guaranteed interviews and, yeah. like, the civil yeah, service yeah, yeah. and stuff. So you get all that information. So if you're struggling for a job, it, again, it's on you because you've still got to go and apply for the jobs, but they'll give you um, the list of jobs that, that are, that, are that, that way inclined. So, yeah, they'll do that. But, again, still on you to, to go and do it. So, obviously, you eventually left mm -hmm. and are now... PT. Yeah. Well, you're an in-person PT now. You're transitioning more to online PT. Yeah. Park what you've done for okay. a second. Of all the lads that you know that left, mm. what have they gone on to do? Um, truck driver. One. <laughs> See, so, I, I made note of this. Yeah. Because so there's get, you... quite a heavy crossover between HGV driving and, and the military. And the military. Well, it's like like if you if you've joined at sixteen, you get. After training, like we mentioned the other day, you've got your driving license for your car, for your lorry, for your lorry plus trailer. And so you've got no formal qualifications. Makes sense that you're just going to leave and go and do the only thing you're qualified to do. So that happens sometimes. Security is a big one. So, um, you know, like 
going on tankers and ships and stuff and being maritime security. You have to do an extra right. course for that, but of course it's you know you kind of get a special dispensation if you've been a marine or you've been special forces. They'll they'll take you on a bit easier. Uh, and also there's that connections kind of thing where you might know a lad who's gone and done it. He's he knows his boss and he can get you in. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's personal training, which is huge. Loads of people become some variation of a personal trainer, whether it be online, in person, owning a gym, um, yeah, like bodyguard, personal bodyguard, that kind of thing, I guess. So do you know anyone that went on to be like a personal bodyguard? Not directly, no. Nah. And then some people just go and leave and do what they were doing before. So I know people who've gone back and doing PE teachers, okay, worked in insurance, yeah. that kind of thing. So they just, whatever you're qualified in already, some people just go and fall back into that. What's the market for, like, private mercenaries now? I don't think it's not as lucrative as it was, is it? No, probably not. There's not much going on, is there? There's not as much kind of no happening, I guess. Uh, probably not as again, not as much of a demand. So and not, I feel like the, the market got smaller. flooded by cheaper labour from elsewhere as well. Yeah, probably like everyone. We got like um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Really, I'm not I'm not in that kind of world, but uh, <laughs> I guess the closest thing would be to to that is maritime security, where you go for kind of three months at a time. On like an oil rig or whatever, like merchant navy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and you start to, you just there as um, like a pair of hands and a, and a weapon to see if anything happens. You can respond but to like it. Captain Phillips vibes. Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, I'm the captain <laughs> now. I am the captain. No, now, you yeah. fucking not. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a common one. I know a lad who does that actually, and, and does quite well financially. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's your experience of leaving. Mm. What I thought we'd do now. Yeah is we'd have a quick look through notable slash famous people okay. that have been in the core in the past. Right. And we'll have a look at what they went on to do. Just to exemplify the broad spectrum of career paths that people go on to mm. after their time yeah, in the there's, core. Yeah, there's loads. I mean, there's tons. That They're just the ones I've mentioned are just people that I know person, on a personal level. Uh, so firstly, we're dishonourable mention okay. for Prince Edward. Right, yeah. Yeah. Son of the son of the late Queen Victoria, yeah. not Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, yeah. Uh, who joined the Royal Marines and then f- dropped out of training? Yeah, of course he did. Oh, Shit, what a helmet! Yeah. Uh, so T- team helmet. Yeah. So boo to Prince Edward, Bruce Parry. Bruce Are we Parry. familiar with Bruce Parry? He's like no. the, the thinking man's bear grills. No. Do you remember, he had a BBC documentary called The Amazon? Oh, uh, okay. About cool. fourteen years ago. He's an ex-marine, is he? Yeah, I yeah. know. Actually, Bear Grylls is cameraman. He's an ex-marine. I know that. That's right. Okay. Funny. So we'll get on to Bear Grylls. He's never actually in the Marines. <laughs> no, he wasn't. This is uh, a myth. He's in SAS reserve. He was an SAS reservist, yeah. but his dad was in the Marines. Yeah, his dad. Was which is why he's got that affinity with them. And also, he did do the PR- PRMC or the POC, the officer course, like the three day yeah. three day course. And he passed that, and then never went to training for whatever reason. I don't know. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Bruce Parry, mm. good lad. Yeah. I don't know him. He sounds like it. Royal Marine officer at 18. Yeah. Served in Iraq during the first Gulf War. Specialised as a PTI. Love that. At 23, became the youngest officer to be made head of fitness and training at Royal Marine Commando Training Centre. Love that. So that's. that's a so he was younger than I am now, which is record, fucking yeah. depressing. That's mental, isn't it? So Bruce Parry, so he went on to be a documentarian mm. so he's an officer so he'll be well spoken and that kind of thing anyway yeah he is and he's an author he's written books and stuff yeah. uh, Michael Grills as we just mentioned Bear mm. Grills his dad yeah. uh, he left the Corps in 1955 I think the family is from old money uh, so maybe yeah that probably... he was an MP wasn't he his dad? yeah he went on to be a Tory MP yeah. in Surrey so okay. yeah, yeah that's very that's... Uh, yeah I mean I don't know he lived in the Isle of Man the Isle of Wight or something Bear Grills. Well, they're quite an eccentric is. family, aren't they? But then Bear Grylls went on to go to Eton. This is what I mean. So that's I think... just out of the blue, isn't it? Like, if you're a marine, even if you get to like officer level, you're not affording to take your son to Eton. That's mental money. See, this is what I mean. This is why I think they're from old money. Yeah, probably. Because I, I feel like the opportunities afforded to him after the corps, in like he went on to be an MP, mm. were probably because of his family roots, links and stuff. Yeah, yeah. probably. Right, so. okay, so we've got Michael Grills. Tip Cullen, people probably won't know, because no, he's not know. actually that famous. Okay. But I came across his story, and I just thought that he deserves an honourable mention. <laughs> so he served in the Marines for 30 years. 
spent much of that time as a mountain leader. Nice. Our friends, the yeah. mountain leaders. Uh, he then transferred to the Royal Marine Reservist so he could retrain as an actor. Okay. He got he got a BA honours in acting from Plymouth, the Polytechnic at Plymouth. I don't know what yeah. it's called. Uh, and he's now like a small small part actor. Really? Yeah, okay. extra work and stuff in Hollywood. Interesting. Are you still in the reserves? I think so, from what I know. I don't know. Oh, it depends What's he on. Been in? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to fucking book his. Needs to book his get on something I've heard of. Come on, son. Uh, and then speaking of politicians, we've obviously got Johnny Mercer as well. Yeah. Who we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah, he was an army commando, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was an army commando, so he wasn't a full Royal Marine commando, but he's now veterans minister yeah uh, which he wasn't for a period of time which he wasn't for a period of time which leads us on to our next topic yeah okay. which is veterans and homelessness yes because I feel like you can't topic. really talk about leaving the military without addressing the fact that historically anyway there's quite a strong association with homelessness yeah there's a huge percentage I'm, I'm, maybe you've got it oh, <laughs> yeah, you should it. know me better boy now how it. dare you underestimate <laughs> me <laughs> Of course, I've got, got the statistics. Yeah, there was a mad stats. statistic about um, how many people who leave the military end up homeless, uh, and we'll see what what it is now. Come on, three, two, one, drum roll, please. Boom! Right. So in the night, so this is basically over time. It's got better, okay, but it's still abhorrent. Right. So in the nineteen nineties, yeah. figures estimated that twenty percent of the homeless population of London were ex-service personnel. So one in five homeless people in London, in London, yeah, was ex-service person. And when you walk around London, you can there's, there's a lot of homeless of people. Homeless and it, people. I, well, we're not old enough to know, but I can only imagine it was probably worse. Well, in from your stats, it is worse. It was worse, isn't it? Right. Okay. So the British Legion now claim the right the rate is much lower. Mm-hmm. So around six percent of homeless people now are ex-service personnel. Okay. It's down from twenty. That's, that's not bad, is it? But I mean, obviously, well, it's not great. You don't want. It, it's, it's a very emotive crazy, issue, isn't it? It's you crazy to me that anyone this is goes what I mean. down that. Yeah, like, it has to go to that that kind of low after being in the military. Because I guess the reason is probably that this is a broad brush, but the reason is like the military give you so much structure and give you everything done for you, feed you, they house you, they pay you, whatever you do in the military. If, as soon as you're, you know, as long as you're not playing up, you'll get a paycheck at the end of the month. When you leave. Some people just fall out because they're not structured anymore. They have to now yeah. do their own cooking. They have to now, you know, do everything for themselves, which they just haven't done before. They haven't paid rent before. They haven't done like their mortgage before. They haven't got got a house. So there's there's loads of things where your hand is held in the military. And yeah, when you get out of that. It's that structure vacuum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's obviously a very multifaceted issue, and there's obviously issues around like lack of mental health lack of support, support and, stuff. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but, but I mean. Broadly, I think that is generally the the path where people go. Well, according to the homeless charity Shelter, mm-hmm. there are 270,000 homeless people in the UK. Yeah. So if 6% of them are ex-service personnel, that means around 16,000 16, homeless yeah. people are ex-veterans. And when you consider... I'm pretty sure this was a, this was ages ago, but I mean it's probably come down from then if anything. The army, I think, only had like ninety thousand people in at one time. Yeah, that's the British army. So obviously you've got the navy and air force and stuff around that. But to give an idea of actually how how large that number is in terms of how many people who come out actually go and be become homeless, which is obviously not good. But um, I think this figure is due to fall quite substantially. Because of solely because of the military's restructuring over the past like two decades. Yeah. You know, because it's obviously a lot smaller now. Yeah. So there are less there are less There's veterans. Less bodies, less yeah. numbers. So yeah. it's not it's not a shining reflection of the government. Yeah. It's, it's just, just it's just demographics yeah, basically. Yeah. But it comes out like they're they're looking better because of this which is not a good thing because that's gonna cause them to take less action if anything. Yeah. Well, that leads me nicely <laughs> onto my next point. It's almost like we planned this. So our current Tory government, yeah. make of that what you will, uh, has committed to ending rough sleeping for veterans as well as wider street homelessness in general yeah. by next year, no less. That worries me because um, <laughs> that's a lot of people well, to sweep in the street in a year. <laughs> I mean, less than a year. I'm not a betting man, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we can say that they're not going to fucking do that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to achieve that. 
especially as um, well Liz Truss pretty much took took the one of the main posts out of out of government completely when she was in and he's only just got back in if I'm right in saying that hasn't he yeah so this Johnny is where Mercer. Johnny Mercer re-enters the fray yeah exactly so so Johnny Mercer who was an army commando mm-hmm. and did various tours three tours of three tours of Iraq? Afghanistan yeah. or Iraq I'm not sure yeah and anyway spent a fat lot of his career in in on tour basically yeah he was a career soldier yeah. and then after he left the military he became a politician yeah. for Plymouth Moorview, I think. I don't know what the exact... Yeah, Plymouth Moorview since 2015. Uh, and he's done a lot of campaigning for veterans' rights and veterans' issues. Which makes sense, because of his background. To the point which he was elevated to veterans minister, yeah. which was then scrapped... That was under Boris, wasn't it? That was Boris. That was under Boris, which was one of his good things. Which was one, one, of, the, one of the fucking... Yeah, one of the few. Very few things. <laughs> That that charlatan has actually done for this <laughs> yeah. country is so allocate a veterans minister. He allocates a veterans minister was Johnny Mercer, and then he gets out of power, and this trust enters, and then what happens? So did she? She scrapped the position, she didn't she? It straight away. Yeah, yeah she did. Yeah, she that just was chinned like it her off. First day. Yeah. Her first day, she was like, "Yeah, don't need that," which is just fucking mental. But um, obviously, she lasted about as long as. Milk in the out of the fridge, didn't you? Know I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, like a fucking chocolate tea pot. <laughs> yeah, like, she so, evaporated into the pavement. She was fucking useless. So make of that decision what you will, um, because she can. Yeah, so when, as soon as she got in, day in, she was like, "Don't need a veterans minister. Uh, that's not a problem anymore." Um, yeah, so she's chinned off, and then Rishi, Rishi Fishy on a dishy comes in. <laughs> yeah, uh, reinstates. When was that? Do you, do you know? October. 22 uh, so we, I think uh, so kind of did that but it's away. hard to when even Mosley's trust about she was like before that I think just before that did she last a calendar month probably not fuck knows who cares about yeah so anyway so he's back he's reinstated now yeah uh, and according to this statistic he's got his fucking work cut out because yeah. he's got <laughs> yeah. he's got a, he's got to find a gaff for 16,000 people <laughs> in the next year yeah so I don't know how big his spare room is but <laughs> he better get fucking extended all that Russian brought property in uh, in London's going to get filled full pretty quick um yeah that I mean that's crazy that they've said that when did they say that do you, do you know or not a few years ago yeah so that was probably an oversight I mean look, we've had them since 2010 and they've, and they've yeah. achieved next to fuck all so far they've probably gone backwards well, I mean, they weren't so preoccupied with this xenophobic fever dream that is Brexit. Yeah. They might have actually helped veterans, but... Uh, yeah, well, they've had a lot to deal with. There was self-entirely self- <laughs> <was> <laughs> self-inflicted yeah. damage. Yeah. Which they is quite an, literally shot themselves in the foot. Not an excuse. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, they're, they've not done, not done great. Right, so that was a little detour. That was um, a little detour down the homelessness path. But overall, basically, uh, it was really bad. It's getting better, yeah. but no, but through no thanks to the government. Yeah, and and probably that statistic, like you said, maybe is a bit misleading. And it's actually not getting better. It's just the fact that there's now less people. It's in the just military. proportionate. Yeah, yeah, so it's proportionate. So it might not even be that it's getting better. And also, I read that only two percent of uh, veteran-supported housing is government-backed. Okay, which I think. If you deconstruct it, basically means that it's heavily reliant on charity and donations. Yeah, yeah it will be. It's not government supported. Yeah, government which again supported. is a bit of a middle finger because it's like, oh yeah, like, they'll do anything to fight, save fight for your country. Money, but as soon as you surplus the requirements, you can jog on. Yeah, basically. exactly. Which is the complete opposite stance to the US. The US look at look after their veterans so so well, mm. and look after their service personnel when they're in. So well, we were in a. Um, we were in America and we were in like walk into the main side or wherever the camp was and we were get picked up by a US Marine. He was I think from South America. And he got into the US Marines with the sole um sole aim of getting an education. So what they do is I think four years in, I could be wrong. Four years in, they'll send you wherever you want in the US for uh, education, for further education, so university for us. And they'll pay for everything. So they'll pay for your accommodation. They'll pay for your like rent, your um, maintenance loan, all that kind of stuff. Legit. So they'll put you pay through an entire everything. college education. Yeah. For so free. his plan. This might be wrong again. This is hearsay from a bloke in a car, but could, uh, it sounds right because the US do do back people. But he he was planning to go and do like an engineering degree 
in San Diego and just live in San Diego for three, four, uh, however many years the course was, paid for by Uncle Sam. So that's uh, that guy's got it figured all out. Yeah. I mean, I feel uh, he's got a massive foresight. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, but yeah, we have absolutely nothing like that. Just just for context, so. Um, the US have it kind of figured out a bit more, but only because they they pump about ninety percent of their budget into. I was going to say, if you look at their military <laughs> expenditure compared to ours, yeah, that's the reason. You know, we're playing with fucking shoestrings, basically. That's the we? reason, it. But again, government government issues, isn't it? But um, yes, I mean that's homelessness and a, and a kind of detail. Anyway, well, if we're still doing this podcast in a year, we can check back in with yes our good friend Rishi Dishi, yeah, to and, see if he's achieved. Mr. Murphy, see if he's achieved See if he's goal. still in post. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which I doubt. Struck off. Uh, as if Britain exists in a year, yeah, which at the current <laughs> economic rate, it won't. <laughs> so pessimistic. <laughs> right, so we'll park that. Yeah. Back to you. Okay. Ooh, switch tacks. So can you remember what you actually did on your last day? On my last day? Or was it very ordinary? Um, did you have to bring in a cake? <laughs> no, <nothing like> that. <laughs> uh, in your last week, you have like a leave-in do and all that sort of stuff and that's like that's quite spicy because you're down in fucking horrendous pints and stuff it's just, just like an initiation for a, a rugby but like to initiate you out of the core instead um, right so is there any is there any particular like traditions that you have to just prefer? a dirty pint really classic and it's it's pretty, it's pretty dirty, dirty. Yeah. right don't. Uh, go I on I don't know what's in it because you don't have any control <laughs> because but, you're unconscious for yeah, many hours yeah. afterwards a lot of alcohol Protein shake stuff, like protein powder. That's not bad. Yeah, it's true. Get your protein. And then, like, fucking vinegar and just anything they can find, Classic basically. Pubes. Yeah, probably. Anthrax. Yeah. yeah. Um, radioactive waste. And then, yeah, you have that. I think that was, like, the day or two days before before I left. Um, and then you'll get... You have a CO's meeting or whatever it's called, like a commanding officer's meeting. So you go in to the, to the like, big head honcho on camp yeah um, and sort of salute him and he thanks you for your service and gives you a plaque gives you a, a certificate and all this shit and then that he kind of officially signs you off off camp and then yeah you uh, pack your bags say your goodbyes and you're good to go you fucked off but typically you only work like half a day because again there's no point in them keeping you in no. for like yeah you can't leave till five o'clock but I mean there's no point is there and you have typically a um a resettlement period of about four weeks or a re- yeah resettlement I think and it's it's basically time where you're still employed so you still get paid but you're not working so that's that's the kind of that's the safety net that they leave you that's the money shot where you've got to get yeah. your shit sorted out before you are then off their payroll and you can't you can't hold have your hand held anymore so what do you do about like clothing and gear do you hand it all back in yeah in the last week um, so by the end you sort of tri- drip feed it in so that by the end of um, the week you're naked no, you're, uh, by, by, the end of, by the end of the week you're, uh, you're just in your shuffling out of camp with your hands civvies, on your cock yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so you're just in your civvies by the end of the week so um, and then you, you go but most of the time you keep like stuff that isn't operational so unless it's like a magazine or a, um, like any weapons attachment you probably end up keeping it so I've got loads of shit that I didn't. Oh, have you? Yeah. Can, um, you, can, you can open an army surplus <laughs> store. Yeah, true. Maybe for one person. <laughs> so it's not like back in the day, you know, when people would come back from serving in the Great War and they just hang on to their service revolver for <laughs> good measure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's, there's much going on. I didn't, didn't keep my um, SA-18 in, <laughs> in the car. Trying to hide it under your hoodie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got everything yet? Yeah, uh, sorted. Yeah, the... Um, you, you just drip feed it back as you go, as you go, and, and you probably get. I almost end up getting charged for just random stuff that you haven't touched in two years, but he's on your signed in shit. So then you have to. They go through it and like, where's your fourth magazine? Not fuck's sake. But, um, it sounds quite. No offense, quite underwhelming. No, oh, yeah. You just say yeah, you've been not, there for like five years or something. It's, not, it's, it's all not very a song and dance. Yeah, yeah it's what's well, yeah. the military for you though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's all to be very like understated. That. Um. And you have like you have the leaving do with the, the lads, and they'll give you a plaque where everyone signs it and stuff. That's cool, but that's about it. Yeah, you don't really, you don't really want anything, anything else. You don't want a massive no thing made out of it. To be fair, um, well, so after you left, no, go on. What are you gonna say? No, go for it. So after you left, yeah. Obviously, spoiler alert. 
you became a PT. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know that by now. If you don't know that by now, <laughs> yeah. then I think you're watching the wrong podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, but your transition was pretty seamless. Yeah. Because you actually started well before you left the core. I did, correct. Um, done his research on it. Yeah, the... Uh... It's almost like I know you. Yeah, I know, it's mad. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't want to be in that position where I was in the last four weeks and had nothing lined up. So, in that last... And because I think I was a little bit bitter that I wasn't in the RAF by you know by that point, I was like, yeah. right, I've got to sort my shit out here. So I was kind of working on my online stuff a little bit. That wasn't wasn't quite livable yet. So I realised I'm going to have to become a PT. Had no idea as to how you get into the PT scene. Absolutely no clue. Didn't even know about paying rent in gyms. Didn't know about employed PTs. Nothing. So luckily, I knew someone who worked in the gym that I eventually ended up working in. They they sort of shared a LinkedIn post where they were looking for staff. So I just applied. And this was um, probably about six months before I left. So kind of a, like a, a long time before I, I actually ended up leaving. I get go to the interview on the Saturday. I went to a second interview on the next Saturday. And then by that, I had the job. I just had to say the caveat as, as I can only work weekends for X amount of time. Oh, yeah, of course. I completely forgot about yeah. that period. You were just you were like the Saturday boy. Yeah, I was just working while, seven you? days a week. I worked yeah. in the Marines in nine, Monday to Friday and then in, in the gym Saturday, Sunday. So seven days a week, I would... Graft. That was, that was shit. Fucking graft. Yeah, that Let's was... fucking levered in. That was solid, that was. That was like six six months of, of working seven days. Um, and I remember having like a... A late turn to like a, a late start on a Monday sometimes in the Marines, yeah. And that was like a blessing because I would start at eight o'clock or whatever in the Marines and start at seven in the gym. So it's like every morning was on, which isn't that bad to be fair, but um, it felt like it felt like a graft because I hadn't yeah. worked for like five years. I've been in the Marines, <laughs> I'm done. So, you, um, so you're spending your weekends PT mm-hmm. in the week, are you also PT in the lads, yeah, in a way, kind of. Again, because they knew what avenue was going down. They pushed you down. Yeah, well, well they, you can do our fizz then. Yeah, they kind of utilise you. Yeah. Um, and so all the, the fizz sessions that required any sort of instruction, so unless it was a run, uh, any circuits, they would take. They would have me and the lad who was going RFPTI take it together, which was good because it got me out in front of people, kind of uh, blew the cobwebs off a little bit so I could yeah. get the, my, my training wheels off, if you like, for coaching. Um, and then it let let me experiment a little bit before going and actually PTing in a gym where people were paying and that sort of stuff. And obviously with the lads, you get completely candid and honest feedback. So if it was shit, they'll tell you, which is good because it means you learn quicker. Um, oh, well, from my own perspective as a PT, that sounds ideal. Yeah. Because they're obviously proper keen for fizz. Yeah. Well, most of them anyway. Some, some aren't, yeah. Like you said, they'll give you candid feedback. Yeah. That's all you can ask for as a PT. That's exactly what you want. And um, and the main thing is you're building that confidence in front in front of a group and, and quite a intimidating group, really, because it's your mates. And it's actually almost, in my opinion, harder to deliver something of value to people you know, like peers, rather than yeah. a random group of people you don't know. Because you start to like lock eyes with people. You know, you start to play games where that you think they're taking the piss or whatever so yeah. to, to actually have that extra challenge probably helped me out a little yeah, bit yeah so you've got like the holy trinity yeah I think I think it was probably quite a good without even meaning to quite a good thing um, and then by the weekends then I, I had a little bit of exposure to doing classes and then I did classes in the, in the civvy gym and they, they were well received so well compared to the troglodytes that you're teaching in the week like the yeah. yummy mummies at the commercial gym are piss yeah yeah. I mean that's and, and also I think there's kind of a comparison. So in the gym scene, like people, 18-year-olds getting the PT qualification who have zero experience yeah. will go and do that same thing, will have their same cl- their first class. Uh, and so they're, they're expecting, oh, you've got the new coach today. All that means to them is the class is going to be shit. Right? So yeah. they're going in with very low expectations. Yeah. And then if you can go in and actually deliver something that isn't shit, then it it's like you're already surprising them. So that's that was really really advantageous to starting in that job, and then yeah, worked weekend started to build my client base, started to have my face recognised around the place, which is always always useful. Um, and then yeah, so like the first week out of I had I actually timed it quite well. So you know I said I had you had four weeks resettlement. Yeah. So I timed it not on purpose, but managed to time it so that. 
I could add on my summer leave. So I had my summer leave and then my four weeks. So I actually had seven oh, weeks of fucking finesse that, that class, mate. Seven weeks of getting paid, being able to do any work, which was sick. So I used that time to go travelling in the week and then work the weekend in the gym. And then eventually started to work in the week in the gym. And that was it. And then built up from there, I guess. So then you went full-time PT. Yep. Yeah. Uh, kind of took about maybe a month or six weeks to get up to real hours where I'm actually earning enough money to live off. So 30, 35 hours. And then it started, started to skyrocket. As soon as we got... So this is September time. As soon as we got to January, you know, oh. they have the massive boom. And so... Yeah, the new year. My, new hours, my hours doubled, you know, in that time, which was... An adjustment period, but nothing I couldn't, nothing that was unworkable really. New year, new me, cunts. Yeah, I mean, to try and keep them engaged was, was the challenge then. It's, it's, a lost, <laughs> it's a lost cause, lad. Yeah, you can't is. engage them. Yeah, well, some of them, some of them you can't. They're bottom feeders. Uh, so, if any of you are looking for PTs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very, very, very approachable. <laughs> Just don't come on January 1st. Right, so you, you're a full time PT mm-hmm. in Civvy Street. Yeah. What transferable skills did you gain in the Marines that helped you in your new role? Um, I sound like a job interview, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm sweating. laughs> um, yeah, so I would say the obvious one is confidence um, and personal skills. The ability to like... So my a lot of my client base were important people in their own lives and yeah. their own jobs and stuff. So they would speak to you. And if you didn't have a backbone yourself, mm. they're not going to respect anything you're going to say. So your kind of initial meeting with them and initial contact with them is quite important. And for you to be a, like standing up with a decent posture and talking back at them and having formulated ideas yeah. is, is valuable. So that's one. Um, probably professionalism, integrity, that kind of thing. But general basic stuff, right, that, that maybe isn't, a specific job skill transfer, like a mechanic would transfer and be a mechanic, but really important things that actually probably aren't very common In, nowadays. Interpersonal skills. Yeah, like professionalism and, and standards. Yeah. Like a lot of the PTs leaving shit around the gym everywhere. I can't deal with that, so I'm putting things back and having that ability to be professional about it. Yeah. My boss notices that it's always like a positive, right? So. There's all that kind of thing happening, and that's that's always an advantage, um, and just the the kind of a big one in the PT industry, which is almost an unearned advantage, is the fact that your your reputation almost precedes you as a marine trainer. Yeah. And so, if someone gets gets told, "Yeah, we've got this new trainer in. He's an ex Royal Marine." That they're instantly going to think it already paints okay, it already paints a picture of you. Yeah, they're it? instantly going to think, "Okay, he's going to be decent. He's going to be whatever. He's going to train me hard." So there's always already that expectation, which is good, but means you have to meet it as well. Otherwise, your expectations going unmet is always always a, a even worse than not than being crap in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I guess those not specific skills. I mean, I didn't take my weapon in and start teaching people marksmanship principles, but <laughs> professionalism and, and integrity and that kind of thing was probably probably the major ones. It's interesting what you're saying about the fact that a lot of the clients that you're dealing with in their own lives were normally used to being in positions of power, mm-hmm. but yeah. obviously in the context of the gym. Yeah, they're not anymore. They're not anymore. That That's yeah. a weird one. It's a strange dynamic to work in, but it has to be like that because they've got to be um, a, a kind of will to you. They've got to do what you tell them, otherwise they're not going to get what they, what they want from the sessions. Um, but some of them aren't too well receiving of that some people because yeah, they're imagine. never in that position even in their relationship in work whatever they're never in that position where they get told what to do well for um, one for a better phrase are they like control freaks some some are and, and some people just aren't used to either being told being kind of challenged with things so you know people come in and um, maybe they haven't done what you've told them to do that last week or whatever you have to as the PT kind of grill them a little bit and and Tell them yeah. that it's not okay to be taking the piss with this. <laughs> Stop being a fucking lazy twat. Yeah, exactly. And so um, a lot of them aren't used to hearing that kind of thing. So that's kind of a difficult dynamic because you've got to almost put a different hat on for each each client. Almost. Yeah. Well, this comes back to interpersonal skills, doesn't it? Yeah. You've, you've got, got to know how to like a engage, engage different people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and people react differently to different ways of coaching, different ways of 
um, telling people different ways of educating. So it's it's learning all those things because clearly I hadn't had fifty clients before I went to I went to the gym. So I had to learn on the spot almost, which was good. Uh, and to be fair, my the staff and my boss like super experienced coaches and been been on the floor with them for my first twelve months in in the job in a PT role probably skyrocketed my um, development because if I was just working on my own in a commercial gym with no one else around to draw things off it wouldn't have been that way because I could learn things from the bloke yeah. who owned it who'd been in the PT industry 30 years I could learn people you know learn from everyone so um, everyone was very helpful which is, which is always good which you never know what's going to whether that's going to be the case or not. Oh, you also did a PT qualification as well. Oh, yeah. We haven't yeah. touched that. <laughs> yeah. The thing you need to do the fucking job. Yeah, I did do that. <laughs> He's just a charlatan. Yeah. yeah, so that was in... Uh, so in those moments, like I mentioned the other day, uh, before where you're in a lecture and they cut you away for something, I'd have my PT course to do. So as you know, doing yeah, so you did it recently. You did an online one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, completely online. and, and Which it's is all, ideal for you. All coursework. That. And so it just meant I had to put in hours of... of answering questions essentially and yeah. writing bits and stuff and so every single evening when I finish work I'll be on that doing that and in any spare time I had in, in the day I would use that to do it as well so it was a lot of all go really in that last couple of weeks and it, it can be if, you, if you're taking your foot off the gas and you want a re- relaxed time you can definitely have that um, in that last two months maybe of your, of your time in the court because again, you get left alone a little bit to go and sort your shit out, but it's down to you to sort your shit out. And so if you want to just coast it in and fucking well, watch Netflix You're wasting whatever, your own time, aren't you, basically? You're just setting yourself up for failure, aren't you? Yeah. And then you're going to get out and be be stuck. And some people have that expectation that I've been in the military, I've been in the Corps, I should be getting, I'm not, I'm owed X, Y, and Z. They kind of have that mentality. Yeah. Which isn't helpful because you're not. Uh, and... That no, means, you're not owed anything. Very little in the in the civilian world. It's hard, isn't it? I, I get it because obviously, you know, if you've like done tours and served, and yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah, that obviously deserves recognition. Of course, it deserves respect for what you do, for what you've done. But you've got to. But it's a hard one, isn't it? Like aligning, aligning reality with expectations. Yeah, yeah, and 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 look, the people who've been in 10, 15 years are a lot more for want of a better word, institutionalised than yeah. I was, having been in five years. So maybe I'm talking from a little bit of a of a, a different perspective. But if you've been in the core from the time you were sixteen to the time you're thirty two, you haven't lived anything else, you know. Yeah. You've been on various tours, all this kind of stuff. When you come out it can be a massive culture shock to not get treated the same, to have people in the in the office not upholding the same standards that you're used to it's very difficult sometimes to square that in your head and even I had that having been in five years and so yeah. I can imagine how like project that out into people who've been in ages it must be it's difficult just worlds, to deal with it's worlds apart just this, this structure thing for me I think yeah massive the fact that everything in the military is regimented and yeah, everything has a timetable everything every... has a place there's a timetable for everything and Total when you just come into the civic street like having worked like office jobs mm. it's just Basically, now, especially since COVID, anything goes. Yeah, and that's oh, oh, to deal with. What are you doing today working from home? Yeah. I need an early lunch club. Let's go to the dentist. Like, it's almost, there's too much. Take the piss, there's really. too much choice. Yeah, and I think humans on a whole need structure. But mm. I think if you've been used to that level of structure yeah. for that long, then when you get out and you don't have that, it can be quite difficult to find your purpose and to find your way. Because um, you're told where you've got to be for every minute of every day. If someone does your schedule, time blocks it out, everything, you know, you've got to be at the range at eight, you've got to be loads of weapons at nine, all this sort of stuff. You just know exactly what you've got to be, da, 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 da. and then you get out and you don't have it anymore. So it's just like... You just sat there with your thumb up your arse. Yeah, and you feel then unproductive. You feel then unvaluable for your company because you feel like you're not doing as much as you should be because you were doing so much in the in that, in that environment. So it's difficult. Um, but again, I think almost going to, into a PT role is quite useful in that respect because you, you do have a schedule because you've got a yeah. time block clients. You've got an hour with this person, an hour with this person, an hour with this person. So I think that helped a little bit because it's kind of almost a carbon copy. While it's different hours and different things you're doing, there's still a schedule there and you're still dealing with that, which is quite useful. 
Yeah, and from your perspective as well, I know a lot of people moan about, you know, if you're a PT working the floor, but you basically, you have three different working days all in one yeah. day, don't you? Yeah, you do, yeah. Because you get the people that come in before work, yeah, you wait people, the that, people that come in on their lunch break, yeah. and people that come in after work, yeah. which obviously is like probably one of the shittiest things about being a PT. Massively. But, of, but compared to all the things that you'd been through in the Marines, yeah. you know, like, you, you're warm, yeah, sure. oh, that's the thing. You're not, you're not perspective. You're not pissing wet. Yeah, absolute perspective. <laughs> you're on isn't it? probably better money. Yeah, a little bit, and and you're doing something that at the end of the day with the hours that you kind of like to do. Yeah, and you've chosen to go into it as well, yeah, which so. isn't always the case in the military, and and yeah, that's true. Um, well, and equally, like some of the lot of fresh-faced prepubescent eighteen-year-old PTs that you get now, mm. who've almost kind of fallen into it. Just because, because they like to bench press. Yeah, because they like to bench press. Yeah, they have no perspective because yeah. they have, they've never they've done, done anything it, else. Yeah. Whereas you've actually chosen to be there, yeah. so you've got that extra layer of enthusiasm as well. It's true. It's very true, and um, and also massively. And this was in a. I'm not going to out anyone, but this was in a uh, <laughs> in a high quality out, the, out the high non- quality <laughs> gym. Um, not a commercial gym, not a pure gym where PTs just walk in, fucking pay rent. This mm. was someone with thirty years of experience has taken these people on, you know, over someone else, and so they're good PTs. But standards wise, like so many times, they're with a client, they're on the phone, just fucking scrolling Instagram. That's yeah. I'm looking at that, thinking that is insane. But and because almost my like my internal drill instructor. You know, my, my the person who's supposed to be shouting at me is like, you you can't you can't even square that in your head that that would happen because, um, you would get shouted at that in your normal environment. But obviously, you don't don't now because you can get away with it. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do because you're now, for example, your clients digging out on the sled, pushing hundred kilos. You're walking behind them, scrolling Instagram, going, "Yeah, keep going, <laughs> well done, mate, sweet." And that's like I'm looking at that like. My head's exploded. I'm like, what are you? That person's paying forty four pounds yeah. for that hour of your time. Give it to them. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's, it's channel your inner Neil Warner. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm going through a bit of a Neil Warner phase <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's 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 frustrating to see sometimes, but you have to not let that get to you and, and realize that that's just how you how you see the how how it should be done, and maybe people don't agree with that. Yeah. Oh, actually, to be fair, we've completely, we've completely overlooked this thus far, but we will we will talk about it now. The fact that you actually like a big part of what you're doing now is that you've actually found you've kind of married being a PT and your time in the Royal Marines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you found a kind of niche in mili- military preparation. Military preparation, yeah. which there was a complete kind of vacuum mm. in the market for it. And that's kind of where this podcast spawned from, isn't it? The the lack of information around the military and more this is more about kind of time in the military and, and stuff like that but still the same is true for the preparation side of things and, and the physical aspect of it and so I saw a little gap in the market there and yeah tr- tried to exploit that on a, on a on an online basis don't really have anyone in person as yet to to train because we're geographically locked yeah um, but you offer you've got military preparation programs yeah You've yeah, got your military academy. Yeah, so I've got two kind of avenues people can go down. I wanted to offer something that, like, ev- anyone who wanted just as a program and no input from anyone else, they just wanted to have a program and follow it. That's one thing I do. Again, structure. Yeah, structure. Um, I have something that is similar, but then you have the accountability side of things. So we check in with you every now and then. We give you weekly videos to educate you on certain things. Um, that's the academy, so that's subscription based, and then the kind of top tier, if you like, is the one to one, where I do have a couple of people who are joining the military, joining the Marines, um, and that's people who need kind of a specific look at them, need you know a specific amount of training, have got a, maybe an injury, got a specific goal they want to dial yeah. in. So there's kind of three avenues people can go down with different price points. Um, so there's monthly payments, or there's one off payment. Where you've got on the on the smaller scale of the pricing, and then you've got the one one to one coaching. And like this, this has arisen purely from the vacuum that the British military have left. Yeah. Because if you go, because I only realised this a few months ago when we were talking about it. If you uh, have aspirations of joining the military, 
and you say you want to join the Marines and you go on the Navy website, mm. the amount of clicks you have to visit, well, like the, the pages you have to go <laughs> yeah. through just to find out the relevant information you need. Which is marketing 101. It's pathetic. Yeah. yeah, from a marketing perspective. Like they've got loads of nice photos of commandos like wading yeah, yeah. through swamps looking techers. But you want to know how to get to that point. But I want to get to that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't want, I don't want it shoved in my face. Yeah, yeah. I want to be that person. Yeah, and so it's um, it's not helpful, really, to be honest. It's shit is what it is. You've got to call a, a spade a spade. There is a programme that they put on the fucking Navy website, but it's shocking. It's terrible. Oh, it's like four gosh. weeks. Yeah. Um, and it's like three days a week and it progresses no, you up shit. to doing like a, a circuit of three rounds of 20 presses. Actually, you know, what I'd, you know what I'd compare them to, which is relevant for what we're doing at the moment? You know when you sign up for a marathon mm. and like the relevant charity will offer you... Actually, I don't uh, know if you've yeah. got it with yours, yeah, but like the bigger, like, charity, yeah. the bigger charities will offer you like a marathon training programme and it's cookie cutter like yeah. it's normally like 16 weeks which is pretty standard but like the actual content of the sessions is shit it's, it's like Wednesday oh go for a run if you want yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. if you feel tired then yeah oh remember to rest oh, yeah shit it's just a load of bollocks isn't it um, which is why I've managed to create something that people are interested in which is good um, there was a little bit of that around in, in book form when I was going through my training so in 2015 2014 a little bit but not not much and not enough really and, and certainly not as accessible as it is now I mean mine's do via an app everyone's a fucking phone so they can just literally take it Perfect. to the gym I couldn't take a massive book to, to the gym and be like what am I doing um, so yeah I mean, it's, it's just accessible and provides that accountability that structure and I think the, the big part of it is having someone almost that you trust and you think knows what they're on about because they've done what you want to do first and yeah. foremost and they're putting out maybe content that speaks to that or, or like puts them gives them some credibility and having someone like that program for you takes your worry out of the equation because when I was yeah. going through I'm like I don't know if I'm doing too much I don't know if I'm not doing enough I don't know if I'm doing the right stuff but to have all of those questions answered in one place is really valuable yeah because you were basically on your own yeah yeah pretty much and, and mo- most people are and some people even now with there's so much out there people still go through thinking they can blindly just go through and be be okay and they will be broadly they'll, they'll probably be okay but why risk it <laughs> I, just, I just think it's so wild that like joining the marines or like joining the military in general is a big commitment mm. like it takes a lot of prep especially yeah. in the case of joining the marines yeah and just the complete information vacuum yeah is given by the government and yeah by, well like yeah, you no should really. you should be throwing as much shit out there as possible to entice people in yeah. You should make it as easy and as straightforward to apply. You should do, but I do think there's a little bit of this that, that is <laughs> not to take your business away. From no, you. <laughs> but I do think there's a little bit of this that is intentional, maybe, and so they don't want people to have the entire picture of what's going on because it takes that element of the unknown out of it, and it takes that element of um, getting the right people through the door because you don't want everyone to come and apply because you're going to get a load of fucking loads of idiots to, to come through the door. Um, you want the right people, and, and to get that sometimes you have to... So if someone's willing to click, even this is a tiny point, but if someone's willing to click through 10 pages before they get to the application process, application page, they've got a bigger level of, of commitment than the person who clicks on the page and then fucks it off because they've got two pages to click through. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure, it's a, like a yeah, it's a form of filtering. Isn't there's it? a little form of filtering. I think it might be te- might be intentional. It could just be bad marketing. I was, I th- but I'm, unfortunately, I see your point, but I think it is. <laughs> I think it is shit marketing. It could be. Yeah, I mean that's another option, and probably the more likely, the more likely of the two. Uh, but yeah, it, and it's good, it's gone well, and I think, and from the feedback I've had, there's clear there was clearly a gap in that market, um, and so. It's 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 a good one to to have exploited and now to fill, which is good. And we've kind of come full circle. Yeah, we haven't have. we? Yeah. Because at eighteen we went on very divergent paths. Yeah. So you so went I, to university. Yeah, I did the higher education route, mm. which is shit, by the way. Don't do that. <laughs> Again, no, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you joined the Marines. Uh, I finished higher education. Had a job in TV Street. Yeah. Which again, soul destroying. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> Um, I again kind of didn't do that really I had, I had a job but I had a job that I kind of chose to do 
and then now we've come full circle. We've and both fallen into the pit. Both fallen into the same kind of bracket, which is cool. Um, and kind of strange, but I guess we we kind of grew up very close together, didn't we? So yeah. maybe there's something to do with that, potentially, that, that played into that. But yeah, I think that is a good place to, to end. end the podcast. I think you're right. Um, yeah, so done our five episodes. This was episode five. Um, go back if you haven't done and watched the one, two, three, four, where we kind of become we've we've done, we've it, done it in a linear format, yeah, haven't so, we? So you can watch in order and see how I progress from joining, which is the first episode, to kind of tying the core and yeah. then leaving eventually. So it's done in a nice sequential way. Um, are we going to touch on the the obvious? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Okay. So um, we kind of touched a little bit on it today. But we're going to have a bonus episode for anyone who's interested uh, of lifting the lid, and it's going to be just pretty much around physical preparation for the core, as that's both of our vocations. We are well. Yeah, this is, this is our field it, of expertise. Right? So yeah. If you are a bit of a keyno, or you've got your eyes on joining the military at some point, it's probably going to be relevant. It's going to be to a you. good one, and it'll probably be a shorter episode. It'll be maybe 30, 45 minutes next week. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be coming out next week, and then we'll, we're going to segue into something else, which is exciting. But it'll be announced on the socials, so follow along. They're linked in the description. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>